You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. It's great to see all of you here this afternoon. And I do hope that as uh, Harrison announced that you will uh, stay for Sunday formation, even if you didn't know about that before you walked in here this afternoon, we'll have plenty of food. And again, there's something for uh, every age, every member of your family is invited to stay. And there are more details in the worship guide that you can look over. My name is Eric Bonkowski. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church and will be sharing the message for us this afternoon. Many of you know, because I've been mentioning most weeks when I've been up front lately, that uh, my son went off to college this fall, and so my mind has been filled with uh, different illustrations uh, about the beginning of college life. And one that I was thinking about this week was the uh, inevitable um, student activity fair on every campus early on in the fall. And, you know, this is the sort of thing where every organization at the university um, puts a card table out on the lawn and uh, tries to recruit, generally uh, fairly aggressively, for um, wh- whatever activity that they are about. And, it, you know, it, it's, the, it's the aggressive recruitment that I was really thinking about this week. And especially, I think it's worst among Christians. Let, let's just be honest. It's probably worse among Christians because they're also eager to capture whatever Christian students might be there to come to their thing. And it feels like it's slightly competitive and slightly um, unchristian, but they do it anyway, right? And they press into this. And, and I remember this from 30 years ago, however long it was, um, when, when I was walking around and these different groups were trying to get me to show up at their Christian thing. And, and, and the promise was, you know, if you really want to grow in your faith, if you really want to be like Jesus, come join us, because this is where that happens. Um, and, and part of it was also this um, kind of this like slightly guilt manipulation thing where they said like, if you, if you want to be on the front line of what God is doing on this campus or in the world, come and join with us. Maybe I'm alone in feeling this. Maybe all of you went to much uh, happier places for college. But there was this like underlying subtext of if you want to be on the front line of God's mission in the world, come join with us. And that always sat a little uneasy with me, and I didn't entirely know why until um, about 10 or so years later when I read this quote that said that the true front line of missions isn't where we typically think it is. The, we often think that it's, it's uh, with some certain ministry, it's, it's in the inner city, or it's or halfway across the world. Uh, but this quote said that the true front line of God's mission is your heart. And that made sense to me. I put the extended quote in the top of the worship guide. You can, you can look at it. Um, with me. It says, but the front line of missions is not in any of these places. It's in our hearts. That's where the battle is won 
we're lost. And I want to talk about that idea a little bit more today because I think it's essential to this new sermon series that we've started. We're going to be talking this fall about how we are sent out as followers of Jesus. But before we can properly understand what it means to be sent out by God, we have to realize that grace has been sent out already to us. This is the consistent message of the Bible. We'll find it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That before we are ever sent out, God sends out his grace to us. Now, to dive into that today, we're going to read a passage that probably is unfamiliar to most of you. It's in 2 Kings uh, chapter 5. And it's the story of a man named Naaman. And at first, it may not seem like it's a story about grace, but trust me, it is. So let's read this passage together. If you have a Bible, open to 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. These verses are also printed in the worship guide, and you're welcome to follow along there as well. Here's what it says. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, He tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of, his, uh, of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not the Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it's a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. 
Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I'm standing, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we uh, acknowledge that this is a a long passage. In some ways, it's confusing. It feels very distant from our day and from our lives. But we trust that by your Spirit, you now can bring this word of alive in us, that we can see not only ourselves, but more importantly, that we'll be able to see Christ, the incarnation of your grace and mercy to us. We ask that you would do this because we need to hear good news today, and we trust that you will do it for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So using this passage, I want to talk with you today about how God's grace is sent out. How God's grace is sent out specifically to those who don't need grace, those who don't deserve grace, and those who don't like grace. I think we see each of those dimensions in this passage. First, we see how it comes, uh, how it is sent out to those who don't need grace. We see this in Naaman. In verse 1, we're introduced to Naaman, and it says, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria, a great man with his master in high favor, because by him the Lord had given him victory, had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man. This first verse, what we're supposed to understand is that Naaman was very important. He was a very important general in a very important army in a very important country of Syria, the kind of the dominant force of the world at the time. The Jesus Storybook Bible, as it tells this story, it summarizes and says that Naaman was very, very, very important. But I love how as we're introduced to this, This man who, on the face of it, doesn't need grace. He he has power. He has influence. He has the ear of the king. But in verse 2, we're told he was a leper. In, in, In the original language, it's actually very jarring. It says that he was a mighty man, a leper. Those two ideas juxtaposed with one another. That although he was a very, very important man, he also was a very broken man with a visible weakness in need of cleansing, in need of help. And here's the thing about Naaman. He knew that he needed healing. Absolutely, everyone could see that from looking at him. He was a leper. But he didn't know that he needed grace. And there's a difference. Many of us know that we need healing, but we don't realize that we need grace. Look at what Naaman does. He is counting on himself to provide for his healing. He is convinced that he has the resources necessary to make himself well. It's obvious in the way that 
he uh, prepares to go to Israel, once he hears that there's a prophet there, it says in verse 5, he went out taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Which coincidentally is probably more than my son took to college. You see, he went with suitcases of money and resource because he thought that's what would deliver healing from Israel. He didn't know that he needed grace instead. He had a problem that couldn't be healed by his money, by his position, by his reputation. He had a problem that could only be healed by grace. And that's because, as the Jesus Storybook Bible also says, Naaman was sicker on the inside than he was on the outside. And here's the thing. You are a lot like Naaman. You are a person who lives most of your life thinking that you don't need grace. And I am too. And that's why we need to be reminded today that God's grace is sent out to those who don't think they need his grace. Right? You're a lot like Naaman. You're a very important person. You're a very self-sufficient person. You rely on your own means, whether it's money or intellect or connection. You don't need grace. But, just like Naaman, God's grace is sent to you. God's grace, this is the story, the consistent story of the Bible, is sent to those who think they don't need his grace. Remember, several years ago, there was a, a young man who um, arranged a meeting with me and came into my office, and he was struggling with something in his life. He was very aware that he needed healing. He wanted to be made well. And we sat down, and he began... Uh, talking and explaining the situation to me. And very quickly, he turned into uh, providing a list of all the things that he had done and all the things that he was going to do, all the ways that he was going to make a change to deal with this problem that was within him. And I stopped him. And I said, you know what? You sound an awful lot like a Pharisee. I haven't heard you once say that you need the grace of God. And to his credit, he heard me say that, and he, was right. he said, you're right. And at that moment, he was broken, and he realized, I don't have within myself what it takes for me to be well, but God has sent me grace. God's grace is sent to those who don't need grace. But we learn from this story that God's grace is, always, is also sent out to those who don't deserve grace. And, and to get a picture of this, we don't look at Naaman in this passage. We actually look at the king of Israel. You see, Naaman uh, doesn't need grace. That's what he thinks. And he doesn't deserve grace. That's what the king of Israel thinks. He is, after all, not a part of Israel. We're introduced to him and we're told, it's underlined, he is from Syria. He is an enemy. And we're told that he was leading the army that was raiding Israel. 
taking people captive and bringing them back to Syria and enslaving them. Surely this man doesn't deserve the grace of Israel's God. And yet the Old Testament, the Bible, is filled with these shocking stories of outsiders who receive grace. Enemies who are welcomed home. What are we to do with that? These people don't deserve grace. This idea is epitomized, as I've said, by the king of Israel. Look again at verse 7. The king of Israel sees that Naaman has come, and he's, he's come with uh, letters of recommendations from the king of Syria. But when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Now, it, it sounds humble at first, right? Am I God? He's, it, it sounds like he's saying the right thing, but really the king of Israel is uh, coming up with a justification so that he wouldn't provide for Naaman. He's coming up with a reason to withhold grace to him because he has concluded that this man Naaman does not deserve God's grace. What we see embodied by the king of Israel is nothing short of unbelief. He is the king of Israel. He knows who Yahweh is. He knows the steadfast love, the generous and wide mercy of this God. But he wants to withhold grace from Naaman because he doesn't deserve it. He assumes that Naaman is really coming under false pretense. He says, oh, he's coming to quarrel with me. He's coming down here to pick a fight. I know this Naaman, and he's our enemy. He does not deserve our grace. And you and I are a lot like the king of Israel, aren't we? Very quick to decide who deserves grace. Who's in and who's out. We're quick to decide that others don't deserve the mercy of God. And often we're quick to, to decide that we don't deserve the grace of God either. And for many of you, that's maybe the bigger struggle. Week in and week out, you hear these stories of the steadfast love of God about his wide mercy, but you conclude that because of things you've done or because of things that you know about yourself, you just don't deserve his grace. And friends, that is functional atheism. Maybe you're not saying out loud, I don't believe in any sort of God. But you're saying with your life, with your decisions, with your heart, I don't believe in a God of grace for others or for me. And people who have concluded that they don't deserve God's grace, they don't just live outside the church. They live inside the church. And often they're angry, and often they struggle to forgive. And often they're disappointed with other people. Because they've concluded they don't deserve God's grace. And therefore no one else deserves God's grace either. 
And that's why we need in our lives people like the prophet Elisha. Because in this story, to the king of Israel who concludes that Naaman doesn't deserve God's grace, he shows up and he asks this great prophetical question. Why'd you tear your clothes? They're probably expensive clothes too, right? This is the king of Israel. He's all dudded out. He's wearing Prada. What? You just ruined that outfit, king. But, but what's behind that, what he's driving at, what he's getting at, is that you've missed out on the grace of our God. You in your kingdom all along have had an inside man. There's a prophet in your kingdom. He has access to God's throne of grace. He can help those who need healing. And you didn't even realize it. How do we live the same way? People in our lives who are enemies of God, who are running away from God, who are hardened by life, And we don't tell them about the prophet of grace named Jesus. Who loves to forgive. Whose arms are spread open wide. Who says to the world running away from him, you can always come home to me. Why'd you tear your clothes? God's grace is sent out to those who don't need grace. God's grace is sent out to those who don't deserve grace. And God's grace is sent out to those who don't like grace. Here we come back to Naaman. Because I think throughout this passage, uh, it's not just that Naaman doesn't need grace or deserve grace. It's that he doesn't like the very idea of grace. He doesn't like the shape of grace in his life because it comes in this series of surprising servants. He doesn't want to receive grace that would come from them. It's in just the second verse. It shows up early in this passage, right? He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And then the story switches. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little curl. A little girl, she was a POW, she was a prisoner of war, she was uh, an Israelite girl minding her own business. The Syrians raid Israel and they drag her home and enslave her and she's working in the home of Naaman. And she believes in grace for her captor. She remembers the stories that she was told in Israel of this man named Elisha who could heal people like Naaman. With one wave of his hand, Naaman could discredit this girl. Why would he listen to her? It's a signal to us of all the ways that we don't like grace as it comes to us. There was one commentator I read this week and he put it this way. I love love what he says. He says, this whole story hangs on this little lass. But we don't even know her name. We don't even know her name. The conduit of grace, the vehicle of mercy to Naaman. We never learn her name. She's the first servant 
that causes Naaman not to like the idea of grace. The second I've talked about a little bit already, and it's Elisha. It's this prophet. And, uh, you know, at, at first, Naaman rushes down to Israel when he hears about Elijah. He wants to go there. But notice where he goes. He goes to the palace. He goes to the house of the king because he thinks, the way the world thinks, that the, the way I'm going to be healed is the, the, the king, the rich, the powerful, the connected. But Elijah lives outside the palace somewhere in a house that isn't much to look at because grace comes in surprising places. The king wants to dismiss him, but Elisha says, hey, have him come down and visit me. So Naaman takes his chariots and his horses and as loud as they can be, as impressive as they can be, they roll up to Elijah's house, knock on the door. Elijah won't even come to the door. He sends a messenger to the door. And Naaman's like, well, come on, man. I'm Naaman. I'm the, I'm the commander of the armies of the Syrians. And you're not even going to come to the door? He doesn't like grace. He doesn't like the message that Elisha has for him either. Did you notice that? Because he says, hey, go wash yourself in the Jordan River. Haman's like, this dirty backwater in Israel? We've got better rivers in Syria. I could have I saved all the trouble. I could have saved all the time. Why would I wash in that river? He doesn't like the look of grace. And then at the end of the story, did you notice that it's servants again? who talks some sense into Naaman, he's in a rage. He's in a fit, and he says, forget it. Let's go back to Syria. This gray stuff is bananas. I don't want any part in it. Verse 13, but his servants came near. My father, it's a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He doesn't like the grace that's offered to him. And it takes another set of servants to cause him to reconsider, to cause him to recognize the grace that has been sent to him by God. You know what? You and I are a lot like Naaman. We don't like the look of grace. Have you ever said or thought, God isn't healing me the way that I think he should heal me? Grace and mercy and help and hope is coming from people that I didn't expect. People who aren't impressive or powerful. This whole grace thing seems preposterous. And you and I, like Naaman, miss God's grace that is sent to us because it comes in the form of a servant girl. Or it comes to us in the form of our children. Or it comes to us from someone that we're sure we're smarter than them. We have a better job than they have. And yet they're going to be a means of God's grace to me. 
I've got better waters, God. Man, have you seen the rivers in Syria? Wash in the Jordan River? That sounds ridiculous. There's nothing that would be more ridiculous than that, is there? Well, maybe one thing. Putting your faith in a rabbi who was crucified on a hill 2,000 years ago. We don't like the look of grace. We don't like that at the center of our faith is a cross. It seems so weak and so foolish. Isn't there another way? Here's the end of the story, though. God's grace is sent out to those who don't need grace, to those who don't deserve grace, to those who don't like grace. But God's grace is still sent out. And even though Naaman didn't think he needed it, didn't deserve it, didn't like it, it changed him anyway. Transformed him. And he was never the same again. Look at verse 14. His servants prevailed on him and he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of Elisha and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Grace came to him and he was made clean. Not because of anything he provided, not because of anything he did, but because of God's grace, he was made clean. Verse 15 by grace, not only is he made clean, but he also begins to worship. He says, as he approaches Elijah, he says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He came down, a foreigner from Syria, worshiping Syria's gods. But he went back to Syria, worshiping the one true God, Yahweh. He was transformed. He was changed by grace. He came down as the commander of an army. He went home an evangelist for God and his grace. He was changed. He was never the same again. And then also in verse 15, he becomes a servant. The grace that was sent to him, it, clean, it cleanses him. He makes him a worship, makes him worship and it makes him a servant. He says at the very end to Elijah, accept now a present for your servant. You see, he still wants to pay for what he's got. He still doesn't understand that he can't pay for God's grace, that it comes to those who don't deserve it. It comes to us freely. But in trying to make payment for what he's received, he acknowledges himself a servant. He's been transformed started the story as a very, very, very important man. And now, he's a very, very small man. That's what grace does. It humbles us. It humbles us. And friends, as I've been saying all through this message, you and I are a lot like Naaman. We think we don't need God's grace. We think we don't deserve God's grace. We often don't even like the look of God's grace, but like Naaman, we can still be changed by his grace.
It's his grace that will cleanse you. Not from leprosy on the outside, but from the sin that pollutes you on the inside in your hearts. It's God's grace that is sent to you that will cause you to worship. It is the fountain of our worship. It is why we gather. If you find yourself dragging as you come in here on a Sunday afternoon, you're like, what is this all about? Let me remind you of God's grace. It causes us to worship when we see it clearly. And it humbles us. It sends us out as servants. Servants before God and servants before the world. That we too, like Naaman, will become messengers of God's grace. We all need grace. None of us deserves grace. We don't like the look of grace. But thanks be to God, His grace changes us anyway. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this passage. I pray that you would continue to press it into our hearts, into our minds, and into our lives. Cause us to worship. Maybe some of us for the first time truly understanding how ridiculous and preposterous your grace to us is. But through the great prophet Elijah, may we have eyes to see beyond to the truer and greater prophet Jesus, the one who heals all of our souls from the leprosy of sin and welcomes us in to the community and friendship with God himself. We pray this all now through the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.